Thanks for tuning in to High on Horror. I'm Drew. And I'm John. This episode and every future episode is dedicated to all the horror hounds and smokers out there who want to expand their knowledge of the genre and have a good time. Writer-director Brandon Christensen is joining us today to discuss his latest feature, The Puppet Man. We highly suggest that you check it out. Brandon was on our show when we reviewed his last film, Superhost, which was awesome. Uh, both films are actually available to stream on Shutter. so uh, you know, after this, uh, go watch Superhost if you haven't and listen to our episode. And we're glad to have Brandon back and can't wait to talk with him about his new film. Plus, John and I are answering questions that you listeners wrote in for Puff Puff Ask. And we got this week's horror history. All that and more today on High on Horror. Horror. Interviews, reviews, and the latest news all rolled into one. Choo-choo, you know the drill. We're starting off with Strain Wreck so that we can shake this day's stress and worries off of ourselves and talk about horror movies. Yeah, and uh, you brought up, uh, you know, Strain Wreck and, you know, that train sound. We got some Mango Train Wreck. Oh. Uh, nothing in Leafly about this. Uh, it's from Curio Wellness and from their website. Uh, it says Mango Train Wreck is a hybrid strain created by crossing Mango Kush with Train Wreck. Dominant terpenes of Mycerin and Calophene? Carophene? Feline? Don't ask me. I'm so bad at this. It is often recommended for managing anxiety, inducing relaxation, and addressing sleep issues. Oh, Packaging okay. vary by state. Maryland packaging shown. <laughs> now, this sounds pretty good. Actually, I've never had this before. This is the oh, first sh- time. I, typically, didn't, I didn't even check the THC on it. Yeah, let, let us know that. I was going to say real quick, though, that typically um, we'll have started, we will have already smoked it and then record an episode while we're smoking more of it and discussing what it is so like but we had we didn't this time so we're not already high off and on it so we don't know how this tastes yet or how well i haven't did you smoke it yet yeah i have oh well okay never mind (laughs) well i i haven't tried it yet so it's uh it's it's funny because it said my serene was like one of the top ones Mm. i'm looking at the packaging and it's actually lemonine that's the top one so okay Update your website, maybe. <laughs> uh, it's 28.97% THC. And, uh, yeah, Damn, I got what s- was that number? <laughs> 28.97. Whoa, all right. So it is a strain wreck for sure. Hell yeah. And, uh, yeah, got a giant ball. Strain wreck, train wreck. like a Viking weapon. It does. It looks, it looks like the Return of the Living Dead 2 cover. Dude, you need to post this on our IG. I should. And post the like, comparison. I'm t- that's the first thing I saw was the... The smoke cloud zombie, but um, smoke cloud zombie. While on the cover, while you light that up uh, and pass it, I wanted to bring up to you that something that I, I figure I needed to talk to you about. I rewatched Talk to Me a few nights ago with my wife Sam, and I came to a realization. I think you uh-huh. said something about this during our review episode, which is pretty funny. But I slept through so much more of that movie than I thought. I remember in our review, you, in our review, you said something like, um, uh, "You doze off a few times," or I, "I caught you with your eyes closed a few times," or something like that. Well, when I rewatched it, I realized that I had apparently like missed a lot, and I was <laughs> I was watching it, and I'm thinking like, when we saw it in theaters, I was exhausted. And we saw it at an, at an 11 p.m. showing. Yeah, it was at, pretty late. And I was high as balls. I was gone. I dozed Always. off. And you called me on it. But after rewatching this movie with a fresh palette, I honestly take back what I said about the movie. I think I gave it a seven. 
And uh, I'm I'm going to take my I'm going to use my own advice with this one from now on. If I'm ever that tired again, I'm not going to just review a movie because I don't trust myself at this point. When I did that, I'm I'm taking it back. I'm going to give talk to me like an 8.75 or a nine i fucking loved it like i, I, I get the it. hype now i get it i i didn't the part where she kills her dad i literally I, I literally remember like she j- just seeing her dad getting killed i don't remember the build-up to it and things like that when i'm re-watching i'm gonna know this movie was fucking good like i said it was average i was wrong i should have re-watched it before i properly reviewed it that's my bad i'm i'm buying that shit on 4k i smoke too much weed to even remember what i gave it i mean i haven't seen it since uh since we saw it in theaters but i I remember remember the whole thing though well i not remember but you didn't sleep through it so you took the whole thing in (laughs) 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 yeah you know what i mean you took the whole thing in that's what she said (laughs) but uh I don't. Do you remember if I reviewed it favorably? I think, I think I did. I think we gave it like the same review. I think I gave it like a seven point five, and you might have did like a seven eight or something. But I mean, it's been one of the better movies of the last couple of years for sure. Yeah, and even knowing how the I, I was a, a fully if I shit aware. on it then. I guess uh, my bad because because I'm thinking of like you know so some of the better movies the last couple of years, and it's up there. I would agree. Um, I remember. I remember the end completely coherently like i was awake for that part and when i even rewatching it and knowing that that's what was coming uh i won't i won't spoil that part in case there's anybody out there who does hasn't watched it i won't ruin the ending but i knew what was coming because i had already seen that part and i didn't sleep through it and yet when it happened i still thought damn that was a cool fucking ending even knowing that that was coming and my wife who had never seen it before this was her first time watching it and she at the same time i said it we both said that was a cool fucking ending it was we were in sync and said it and we both cracked up so yeah uh, it was a good good fucking time and uh, i regret giving it an average review so apologies to uh talk to me from drew <laughs> i uh, pause um never mind that's my lines never mind I was going to say, I don't know why, but it made me think of uh, movies that were reviewed favorably and then have gone the opposite way. (laughs) I haven't rewatched it, but uh, one I keep seeing that people seem to have loved when it came out and don't seem to like it now is uh, Black Phone. Really? I keep seeing a lot of people in horror groups saying like, oh, I watched Black Phone and wasn't that good. I've seen it with Knock at the Cabin, which I think is just insane. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, that's another one. I don't. Both of those I thought were good. But you know what's still fucking hilarious, bro? People every day in horror groups on social media are shitting on Halloween ends. I knew you were going to go to <laughs> Halloween ends somehow. It's true. We were just talking about you talking about to somebody or, or you got a sticker from it. Yeah, who, who, the, who, the hell, who the hell did I order from again? Fright Rags, right? Thank, I always forget who I yeah. order from. But yeah, because I mean, they had those kick-ass Halloween cup. Yes, that you but, uh, blessed me with. Thank you you're welcome and uh yeah because i got the uh the uh goosebumps halloween four shirt and they threw a sticker in there i was like oh michael and it says ends behind it and i just uh <laughs> but it was nice because when they sent the cups they sent those separate i think mm-hmm. 
Or no, I think the shirt the shirt was sent separate, and that had a th- uh, the thing sticker. So okay, I'll, so I'll take, even I'll take, I'll take the take it balancing out on that. But yeah, Halloween ends still got awful. It still gets shit on today, and that's what's crazy is that the hate hasn't died. It's like people are still <laughs> discovering it. And We're hating still it. hating it. People are oh, we'll pass. People remember the whole. Everybody hates it right now, but it'll grow, and it'll, it'll as as it gets older, people will learn to love it. Like Halloween three, it's like. Uh, um, it's over a year after the movies come out now and people are still posting about it every day new people who have just seen it and they're shitting on it and people are agreeing it's not getting better with age it's not a fine wine people out there are gonna be like they just found another way just to shit on halloween ends i didn't even mean for it, it just happens. <laughs> it just man. happens um but yeah like i'm already gonna tell you the halloween tv series that's got to be better than halloween ends it has to be <laughs> but um all right johnny boy it's time to uh, take a look at the past and go over this week's horror history. But this time, I promised I'm not going to interject because you have a lot of stuff you have to say. And I always get caught up and want to geek out and talk about these movies. And then I drag this next segment out. So I'm just going to let you roll through it. It's like, I picture this as like your, your weatherman segment. You know, like the, you're <laughs> just like, yeah, this is like, this is, this is all you, you know, and there's a lot to cover. So let's get to it. Uh, I, what was I going to say? Uh, oh, fuck, I just, I had it. And then you you hit me with the weatherman. <laughs> I, I was gonna say, oh, it's like uh, at the Oscars, the in the in, in, in memorial mm-hmm. <laughs> where they, yeah, just, right, right. they just show the pictures and just be reading <laughs> off the list. Yeah, exactly. This week in horror history. All right, get it started here on uh, well yesterday, January twenty eighth. First, we got nineteen fifty nine Frank Darabont. 1986, year I was born, Alexis, Texas. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know you didn't have anything to say, Drew, but uh, I mean, she, I don't know if you want to speak on Alexis, Texas. No, I'll pass. I don't know if you're familiar with her body of work. I am. Our <laughs> listeners, I'm sure, are too. And Appeared if not, in uh, Erotic Tale of Miss Dracula, Bloodlust Zombies, and Bikini Frankenstein. Absolutely. Uh, films, Hide and Seek, 2005, one uh, that I liked that you did not, 2011, The Right. Yeah. Uh, today, January 29th, for births, we got Heather Graham, 1970, and films, 1988, Slime Ball, or I'm sorry, Sorority Babes and the Slime Ball Bolorama. <laughs> January 30th, for births, we got Gene Hackman, Christian Bale, uh, Gene Hackman, 1930, Christian Bale, 1974. I realized I just said their names and just kept moving. Like, <laughs> uh, For films, 1991. Oscar winner for Best Picture, Silence of the Lambs, 2003, Final Destination 2. And uh, moving on to our next month here, February 1st for births, 1955, William Lustig Films, 1977, Suspiria. I want to jump in real quick here. Mm -hmm. I saw somebody the other day uh, online in a horror group said that Demons was a better intro to Italian horror than uh, Suspiria. You know... I can kind of agree. I guess it would depend on the type of horror the person's into, but Suspiria is more scary and like edge of your seat, whereas Demons is kind of like fun and like gory and has like 80s metal. So I guess it depends on like what type of vibe you're going for. I tend to go right for the throat because I like to know what you can take. You know, <laughs> me, you, you know, I introduced you to all the fucked up stuff, you know, or most of it, but that's me. Like, if I'm taking somebody on a date, if, it, if I'm taking somebody on a date for the first time and I have the option of demons and Suspiria, I'm going with Suspiria because you know why? Because, you know, 
you know, I never. It sounds kind of predatory this, to say, but I was going to say this like, is the, me. Don't cling up. The girl will like cling up on you. It's a good date movie because they're scary. But I say that out loud. It sounds kind of predatory. Like you know, oh, I'm gonna go to touch me, but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I would. Uh, yeah, I, I would say uh, I, I I can understand why someone would say that. I don't necessarily disagree. Uh, moving on here, February 2nd, Burst, 1936, Dwayne Jones, 1949, Brett Spiner. And uh, for deaths, 1969, uh, Boris Karloff in 1995, Donald Pleasance, fucking Drowntog Day, took, took, took some big ones, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and films, uh, 2001, underrated classic, I think. Uh, Nicole got me to watch it, and she has to hold it over my head that oh i got you to watch this was uh valentine oh yeah february 3rd for births we have 1961 keith gordon deaths 1989 john cassavetes and films we had uh some good ones here uh in the mouth of madness 1995 uh 2006 when a stranger calls i like the remake yeah uh, 2011, The Innkeepers uh, debuted in Toronto. That's a good one too. And uh, another film we mentioned, 2023, Knock at the Cabin. Oh, nice. So, uh, yeah, that'll about uh, wrap up our hiss. All right. So then, now I guess it's time to get into Puff Puff Ask, the segment of our show where we read off messages that you listeners write into us on social media at High on Horror 420 and through email at High on Horror 420 at gmail.com. And of course, our official website, High on Horror.com. All right. I'll go first. This email comes from a guy who goes by Jack Torrance, by the way. <laughs> He asks, that's what he asked us to refer him as, Jack Torrance, uh, for whatever reason, so we'll respect that. He asks, what do you think of Universal Studios and David Gordon Green parting ways and canceling the Exorcist Believer sequel? My response to that is good. Uh, and uh, Our review for Believer will be out in a few weeks, FYI. But yeah, that's my response, good. I, I wasn't looking forward to it. I could give two shits less. <laughs> two shits less oh that's what you're saying i don't think I, I don't think i've heard that i could give two shits less about that like what is the standard amount of shits to give i'm inventing shit tonight <laughs> it's this mango strain wreck do, do, do you start with two shits is it like a five shit system <laughs> so if you take two away you just down to give it three shits about it um i don't have faith in david gordon green to do anything outside of comedy yeah i mean i guess maybe oh maybe if you look at halloween ends as a comedy or like a parody <laughs> maybe i'm about to go back and watch it as a parody no nah, it's still bad <laughs> that one's still bad uh yeah i don't have faith in david gordon green for much so uh yeah, and we'll have our review out. We've been so goddamn sick lately. <laughs> Just, it's bad. It's been bad. Uh, or hopefully we're back on track now here. But uh, all right, I'll move on to this one. It was actually sent in from my friend Courtney. Uh, hey guys, loving the podcast and learning a bit as well. Maybe you covered it and I flaked, but what's your take on the elementary school teacher who played Pooh Blood and Honey for her class? I get it, but it has wit. I get, I get it. It has Winnie in it, but come on, one in the rest of the title, drop a hint. I mean, you would think so, especially the blood part. I also want to know, like, I wonder how old these elementary kids were, like, what grade it was, because like. <laughs> 
I gotta say, go. That's what I would like to know too. Exactly how young were these kids? Uh, Because you remember, I mean, granted, it was high school. Mm -hmm. They showed us some very much uh, uh, inappropriate movies at William Penn. (laughs) Are you surprised? Are you surprised at William Penn? I mean, I watched. I don't know about you. I watched Pulp Fiction as an anti-drug movie. Uh, that's hilarious that's awesome but ridiculous at the same time so, uh somebody else well, one of my friends their teacher played scarface for him i heard about that that wasn't my class unfortunately <laughs> uh i looked it up here it was a fourth grade math class in miami well it's just fourth grade and it was a math class so <laughs> i don't know what so why were they watching a winnie the pooh movie at all I mean, I guess you could tally up the kills. Was it, was there, is there a Winnie the Pooh movie called Winnie the Pooh, Winnie the Pooh Blood and Money? <laughs> and they meant to play that one? I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Hustle and flow. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can't imagine things went uh, well for that teacher. Yeah, I can't. I, I can't even imagine. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> I guess my take would be uh, you probably shouldn't do it. Well, see, my thing is when I watch, the, I actually watch the movie because it's on Peacock. And I put it on, I watched it over the course of like a night and a half, um, it was just, just before bed in between work days and it's, it's, it's pretty bad, but it is actually enjoyable on like a fun level. But my thing is after reading this question, the movie kind of starts immediately. So I'm like, how far did the te- did the teacher just put it on and walk away and go sit at his desk or her desk and then like leave, let the movie play for however i don't know how long it played for because i can imagine the kids were probably fucked up through the opening scene <laughs> so i i wonder if it was an immediate like oh shit this has been on for five minutes and they're fucking screaming or if it took like 20 30 minutes in for the kids to see some more shit uh this is from screenrant.com okay. i pulled up an article on it all right uh a fourth grade math class was shown multiple minutes so apparently it was just minutes oh so opening like i said the opening yeah uh footage of winnie the pooh blood and honey pl- prompting parents and school responses uh the school has taken action to address the incident including meeting with impacted students and ensuring their well-being uh Yeah, apparently it was just... Uh, oh, wow. Uh, the headline buried this. Uh, okay. Apparently the film played, according to parent Michelle Diaz, the film played for between 20 and 30 minutes while the teacher not... 20 to 30? Like I said, I told you, dude. With the teacher not stopping the film because students had chosen it. <laughs> so, so well, they decided, I mean, it was a vote of the people. They decide they could take it, so sure, why not? Uh, apparently the uh movies reportedly caused diaz's children to become distressed oh jeez. it's not a, she said he didn't stop the movie even though the kids were saying hey stop the movie we don't want this it's not for them to decide what they want to do it's up for the professor uh professor to look at the content <laughs> uh, kids you said you wanted this too damn bad you're going to continue to watch it yeah right you're going to learn life is about making choices <laughs> wow 20 to 30 minutes that's, so like i said put it on in the background and, and just well they said they could take it they no, probably put it on teacher probably turned it on it was playing on their phone or something yeah or or grading papers or bullshitting but yeah playing that's xbox game pass that's whatever. what you'd be doing that's what i'd be doing <laughs> all right well Your kids um, watch this movie i'm gonna go chill in the back if any of you turn listen- the lights <laughs> off it's too bright in here 
Oh, dark too. If any of you uh, listeners out there have any questions for us, reach out to us on social media at High on Horror 420 or email us at High on Horror 420 at gmail.com <laughs> or uh, visit our website at High on Horror 420.com. No, it's just high on horror.com. What the? I'm, I'm just high. high. Oh, on my horror God. 420. oh, my God. You were on a roll with the High on Horror 420. <laughs> Our website, highonhorror.com. Visit it for reviews, all all the other good shit that you don't get here. And without further ado, let's get into our review of The Puppet Man. The Puppet Man is a convicted killer on death row. He's always maintained his innocence, saying it was an evil force controlling his body as he slaughtered his victims. Now Michael, the killer's daughter, begins to suspect there may be some truth to her father's claim when those around her begin to die in brutal ways. All hope rests on her shoulders to break the Puppet Man's curse. So uh, that is our film today, The Puppet Man. Uh, we'll be talking to Brandon Christensen here in a little bit. But uh, what what were your thoughts on the film? Yeah, I'm going to keep this short and sweet because, you know, there's a lot of uh, spoilers coming in the, in the, in the interview. This movie picks up with a jolt of horror. Right away, it grabs you right out of the gate by the throat. It's well-paced. It's not scary, but it's definitely eerie. It creeps under your skin a little bit. Michael's sleepwalking adds an element of dread to this whole scenario. The deaths are on point. The movie goes full final destination with a barrage of deaths. Yes. Steering wheel, steering wheel foo, as Joe Bob Briggs would say. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Uh, the acting was food. good. Everyone was believable for the most part, and good natural dialogue. I noticed that the dialogue was really well written and and spoken. It just seemed like they were just totally, the chemistry was there. Their talking seemed totally natural. Alison Gorsk carries the movie with ease. I've never seen anything else she's been in before, but she killed it. I just fucking nailed it. Held the movie just fine. I I wanted to see what was happening with her every next scene that came on. You know, like she, she definitely pulled me in. It's definitely someone to look out for. And this movie rings home the old saying, you can't run from who you are and where you come from. I give this movie a solid 8.5 out of 10. Yeah, uh, speaking of uh, the actors, all the kids, I mean, they feel natural as, as college kids. And yeah, Final Destination, there's just, oh, there's a couple scenes that just linger and linger, and it makes me feel more and more uncomfortable. Absolutely. There's one, there's one kill that absolutely I just uh, still grimace in thinking about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, we we go. We're gonna go in depth about that yeah. one. Um, yeah, everything. It's very tight, tight, tightly wound for sure. Uh, yeah, I don't really know what else to say. But I mean, I feel feel like you kind of nailed it there. Um, I give it an eight eight point two out of ten. Okay, straight, straight uh, pause. Okay, cool. So two two eights basically, you know, that's uh pause. Okay, awesome. So yeah, we both loved it and uh as we said earlier, it's available to stream on Shutter as is Superhost uh plus Z. There's you just got to have to look up uh, our guest here Brandon. He's he's done a lot of good horror movies. And uh, why 
why waste any more time? Facts. Let's get in that interview. Brandon Christensen, thank you for being on High on Horror again, man. It's great to have you. Thanks, guys. It's great to be back. Um, so, uh, how's life going, man? What's new since the last time we talked? Oh, man. Uh, we talked after Superhost, right? Correct. Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, the pandemic's over, so that's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I've got a new movie that just came out uh, in October, on October 13th, called The Puppet Man, which I think is the reason for this call. But that, that took a lot of time. Uh, we shot that in... Um, early part of 2022 and post-production on it was insane so it was just like a a never-ending sort of battle to get that film finished and um, now i'm in post on another one. Oh, sweet all right yeah we'll get into your uh future project a little later um right now i want to talk to you about the puppet man as you said um my my first question here is that you know we followed all your work and that's why we've had you on and asked you on again we we really like your your work um we're enthusiasts of your efforts in uh, the film <laughs> world and uh with this uh the puppet man i mean and z and stillborn these are all supernatural horror films what draws you or attracts you to supernatural horror films um that's a good one that's a tough question i mean i think a big part of it is just sort of taking um situations that aren't really that uh you know interesting on their own um you know just like a, a mother and her child and just sort of dealing with this you know the sense of loss and you know a mother and her child again in z who's you know who's losing her grip on you know being a friend with her kid and just sort of applying this extra pressure um, from a supernatural en entity that kind of blends into the situation that we're showing. Um, I think it just allows a lot of opportunities for, um, you know, the story to take a lot of interesting turns because, you know, I, I, ultimately you want to make a movie with compelling characters that you care about and, you know, you want to have drama that's relatable and, and, and you know, situations that, you know, you can be apathetic toward or not apathetic, empathetic towards. Um, and so when you take that and you just add that extra layer that kind of just, um, you know, takes it beyond the normal, I think it, it causes a lot of interesting things to happen because you have these characters who, you know, they might have to, they might deal with something like going to a doctor or whatever in one way. But when you apply this extra layer, it just sort of causes these other layers to unfold like, and, and sort of, um, you know, you find some really interesting opportunities. So I just think it's just um, a way to sort of push the story a little bit further and, um, you know, allows an opportunity for a lot of scary, uh, scary things. Yeah, it's funny you say that because uh, Supernatural, well, I'm a slasher fan. Slashers are, you know, good old American slashers. That's my favorite, like, subgenre. But uh, the films that scare me the most that have always I'm not really scared of any slasher movie the, the movies that scare me the most are supernatural horror films like The Exorcist or The Entity or like the first two Conjuring movies like things where it's I think I think the reason is because it's like fear of the unknown you're you're mm -hmm. fucking with things that nobody's really sure about and nobody knows how they would combat it if it really were to happen to them so I think that supernatural horror draws that that's what makes uh, it so appealing and uh, that's why I was asking why you make them because it seems like you always seem to have this new idea of something that is just some unknown that's some big bad that's coming mm -hmm. to fuck with you that you just don't know what you're gonna how you're gonna prepare for it right yeah i mean superhost was the only one that i've done that wasn't supernatural and you know you get into a lot of things like uh 
um, you, you know, it's two versus one in that film. You've got, you know, Osric and Sarah against uh, Gracie. And, the, and it's like you, you read some of the comments and they're, you know, it's like, two, oh, it's two against one against this little girl. They should be able to take her out. And it's like, yeah, maybe. But at the same time, if you've got someone that has done it before, there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of power in someone that's killed before between, you know, some spoiled brat uh, influencers that have never really dealt with anything beyond <laughs> just like, you know, lost views or something like that. So um, to me, it makes sense. And I feel like, you know, you give someone a knife and they, they can be incredibly dangerous, but mm -hmm. I don't know if that hits as much. So there there is like a lot more unpredictability when you're dealing with the supernatural that I think um, – allows the audience to be more on board for what's happening because there is, you know, it's almost like the unca uncanny Valley thing. It's like, if it's a real situation, you can apply real logic to it. But when logic kind of goes out the window, because you've got this new rule set that doesn't apply to real life. Um, you know, I think there's a little bit of wiggle room there. Absolutely. And, uh, how did, uh, Alison Gorski, is it Gorsk? I don't know if I'm butchering that or not. Um, how did she get involved in the puppet man? Because she is brilliant. She's vulnerable, but then she'll turn it on you quick and be fucking super aggressive. Um, yeah. So that was, that was total, you know, kind of lucky is cause we, we started casting that at the end of 2021, um, and Shudder kind of had first approval on on the lead of the film. And so the producers went out to these different people and they got some auditions coming through. And Allison was one of the first or second people that came in. And we there was sort of like a ticking time clock that we had to, you know, we had to get this approval to, to Shudder. Like, you know, we had to, to get through that so they would agree to financing. And, you know, there's all these sort of steps you have to do. Um, but her audition was just so good. Like I can't, th there was a couple scenes. One of them was when she's after Charlie dies. Um, she's sitting across the table from the officer and you know, they're talking like that. And she had this vulnerability that was just, um, you know, super engaging. And so, um, you know, it, 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 I looked at her other stuff and I, you know, you, you sort of see some things that you like, but, um, yeah, we just sort of, you know, made the offer and, and got it done and, and she was great because just working with her from day one and, and before that, like we'd have calls and just talk through scenes and talk through the character motivations and things like that. Um, yeah, she, no, she was one of my favorite, uh, people to work with just because she was so engaged throughout the entire process. That's awesome. And it's good that, you know, you were able to work with Shutter on that and it was pretty easy for you. Uh, I had a totally random question on Charlie's computer. Uh, I think it's between the 10 and 11 minute mark. She's talking to Michael and it just looks like there is a long giant report <laughs> on her computer. Like, what was that on the computer? Cause that looked very thorough. Uh, so I, I mean, I guess she's just writing some bullshit essay, but like the pra <laughs> the practical reason is that was a prop uh, MacBook Air that they had, and the screen was kind of broken, so we couldn't shoot close-ups of it on it or anything. And at, like this film is loaded with visual effects. There's like 317 shots, and you wouldn't you wouldn't know that most of them are VFX because they're kind of invisible. And there, you know, okay. there's a, there's a lot of screens in the film that are all either shot uh, practically after the fact or they're added in post, and um, that was one where you know I just essentially I needed the white light on it just to have some interactive lighting, and so we put this white screen up and we just it was like a full screen Google Doc or something like that and just put a bunch of that like lorem ipsum Latin kind of <laughs> BS filler type, and I was like we're never gonna see what she's writing it's always gonna be out of focus. 
And, you know, I was like, I'll look at it later and maybe I can replace it with another screen. But, you know, you get deep into the editing, get into the VFX and you have to prioritize things. And, and it was just one of those things that literally this is the first time I've ever had to talk about it. So but it is funny because <laughs> I, I am very aware of that screen. So it's like, um, you know, but it's just all babble. And she's I, I don't know what it's supposed to be. It's just schoolwork. <laughs> You're thinking too much. Stop thinking. No, no, I, I was I was asking on, on the practical part, like like yeah, yeah. what 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 was actually on there, but that's pretty funny. Yeah, um, it was just dummy text. And uh, also with Charlie, her whole area, that thing, like, how long did it take to like design her board and everything? Because there's so, there's like photos, there's like these little notes with stuff. That seems like that was like a whole project just in of itself. Yeah, so we had um, we had a great production department. Um, Frank or uh, Frank Coppola, Coppola, sorry, he was the production designer, and he had a couple people under him, and they you know they were really cool. Frank was just a total rock star, but he had uh, his props person uh, Mallory, and she she kind of just took that room and just started decorating it. And we had Angel before we shot the film send us just like a ton of photos of her. Um, and so we printed them all out and she was able to make this collage and she just sort of, you know, she spent some time cause that, that dorm room's a set. So they started building it, I think in the third week of production and we shot all of the dorm interior stuff in the fourth week. So, um, you know, there was a lot of time for her to just kind of go in and add some stuff and add some texture pieces. Cause it's all those little things and those little details that make it feel real. Um, and mm -hmm. so like having those photos and having that sort of proof of life i think was um you know really important like when, when charlie's mom comes in after her passing she goes in and she looks at the board and we see it there and when you know right after the passing before the birds start hitting the window michael looks over and she kind of sees them as well so it's kind of just like a constant reminder of charlie's life um which i think you know just keeps these characters in this emotional state because I, I do think that the film's a little interesting because a lot of times when you have a horror film, you'll have a main character die and it's like one minute later, everybody's moved on and it's just like, we got to go to the next thing. And I understand it. Like, I, you know, Z has that problem. When the husband died, we kind of like yada yada the drama and just cut and go forward in time like, uh, you know, a few weeks or something like that. But in this, we wanted to, because it's such a short time frame that the movie happens over, um, we just wanted to constantly remind you of her presence because she was the one that kept this group together and you kind of pull that apart and, you know, everything kind of unravels. So, um, yeah, we just wanted to make her even after she's dead for her to be very kind of present in the film. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, speaking of the birds hitting the window, I have to ask, were those prop birds or was that CGI? I honestly, God could not tell. Um, it's so it's kind of funny because again, Frank, the production designer, he I don't know if you know what Duvetine is. It's no. like um, it's it's like a film. It's basically very thick black uh, fabric that you can use to like block light or something like that. It comes in really big rolls and you can cut it up and use it for whatever you need. But he took some of that and he all he did was he basically made like an origami bird out of it and he you know with <laughs> with with uh, black gaffers tape. And he made this little thing that kind of looked like a flappy bird. And he was just outside the window because, that was, again, that was on a stage. And he was just chucking it at the window over and over oh, and over. He was pelting the window with this yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I took that and I kind of, you know, there'd be some frames that you could kind of tell what it was. But there were some where it's just like, I know what it is, but it still looks just like a bird. So it is practical. And all I did was I just, like, added the cracks and I painted him out because you could see him throwing it. 
And I just sort of, it's just like a nice blend of these different things that are happening, but because it's all real and it's all, you know, the lighting's proper because he actually did it. Um, all the pieces that are composited together, um, they're all real. So it does, you know, it works really well. It's the same thing with like uh, Joe with the fire. Cause you know, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about that. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think uh, the the mix of practical and uh, CG always works best. Um, like I said, I, I didn't even question. It's funny. I didn't question the cracks in the window. I thought, oh, those are real. The birds <laughs> might be CG. So it's totally out. So yeah, like the mix is, uh, it's it works well when you blend everything together like that. And uh, your brother, Ryan, co-wrote this with you. And uh, this is his first writing credit, as far as I know. Um, was this uh, the Puppet Man, an idea that you guys have had together for a while? How did that collaboration happen? Um, no, the movie actually came from one of the producers, Matt Mangerides. He basically just cold called me uh, in 2020. I, or Yeah, it was like late 2020. Um, I was in post-production on Superhost, and I was just kind of uh, you know, anxious and trying to figure out what the next thing was. And so he just randomly messaged me on Facebook, and he's like, hey, I've got... Um, I've got these ideas that we're, we're going to pitch to Shutter. Wanted to see if any of them would be any you know of any interest to you, and so he sent me this list, and and a lot of them were like, oh, giant crocodile, you know, giant snake, and like all these random kind of like weird monster type movies. But then there was this one, and it just said the Puppet Man, and it was like, uh, you know, it, all it said was basically like a man comes home from from work and he kills his wife without being able to control his body. And so that one was the one that stuck out to me. And I was just like, yeah, let me, you know, let us take a look at this and, um, you know, we'll get back to you. And so my brother and I, who had never, we'd never written anything before, but he's, you know, he's been writing his entire life. Um, I just thought it'd be a cool opportunity for him and I to develop something with like no stakes. And um, so we just started building on this thing and we, you know, we took this opening scene idea and we're like, okay, well, who are these people? Do they have a kid? And it's like, oh yeah, maybe they have a daughter and she's there, but she's locked up and like, oh, well, you know, maybe this is taking place in the past and we have a podcast that is playing, talking about this case that we just watched, but she's in college now and she's, you know, kind of learning about her, what happened or, you know, and we're just kind of going through the snowball thing. And, uh, yeah, we just sort of quickly developed it and wrote this big, I don't know, it was like a 30, 32 page treatment, you know, with imagery and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, we, we sent it back and everybody thought it was really cool. So they, uh, they hired us to write the draft and we, you know, we wrote that and then just sort of snowballed into me directing and, and, you know, it, now it's out. So it's just kind of a, <laughs> a weird thing, but no, we didn't have any intentions of writing it. Um, we've written a bunch since then, but that was the first time we'd ever written together. Well, so somehow it just kind of all, all kind of came together for you there. Um, now I got to ask, what is it with Glens and horror movies that are such assholes? I mean, you, ha <laughs> you have this Glenn talking about daddy issues. You got Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, it's funny because the names in this, like uh, Danny, Michael, uh, Glenn, and Joe, they're all based off of a, a family that I like. My childhood best friend and his family. So it's, it's, oh, we wow. just sort of stole their names. And then Charlie was just sort of like the odd man out. And we just, <laughs> I don't know, Charlie just stuck for some reason. I don't know why. But, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, they're gender flipped names. And I was like, no, not really. I mean, Michael was my friend's mother and that was her name, same spelling and everything. Um, and we did that because she, you know, she's passed away and it was kind of like a little tribute to her. But, um, nice. Yeah, it was just uh, Glenn just sort of ended up being that guy. I don't know. I think it's such an alpha name that it just maybe that's just how it works out. It just it just seems, you know, he just seems like a Glenn for some reason. Uh, what's your favorite thing, Brandon, that you pulled off 
as a director in this movie. Like every director has that one thing that they're like, fuck yeah, I pulled that off. I did that. What's that for you with this movie? That's a really good question. If you, you know, every time you should always ask that. I don't know if you asked me that on Superhost. I can't remember, but that's a, that is a really good question because, uh, it's not something that you often, uh, you know, you know, you don't often get asked that. Like you're always asked like, what are the hard things and blah, blah, blah. Not, not like what hypes you up about this thing. So that's cool. Right. Um, so this, I mean, I don't know. There's a lot because this this film, when we were doing it, I mean, there was something like 40-something, 45, 46 locations. And, you know, we had a 20-day shooting schedule. So basically every day you're starting in one location and you're ending up somewhere completely different. And so, you, you know, your time management is so key because you just don't have a lot of time. Like when I shot Superhost Z and, and Stillborn, they're mostly in one location. So it's like... If I have to shoot a scene and we're behind or something like that, I know that I can pick it up later. If I'm missing a shot, I can be like, oh, I can just pick that up tomorrow because we're going to be in the same place. We'll just quickly set up a small thing and you know, do it there. But with this, when you're jumping around so much, um, you just don't have that luxury. Like you, you, you have to get it or else you're basically screwed. So um, with this one, the hard part was is like every other day, it seemed like there was a big set piece sequence. Like day two, we shot Glenn's death. Um, day three, uh, or sorry, day four, we shot um, the rooftop. The great day five was the bridge. Day six was Joe's death. Like every day, you'd look at the call sheet, and and even though you know it, you still kind of look at it, and you're just like, what the hell? Like, how is there so many <laughs> set pieces? You know, we got we're shutting down a road, and we got to do this thing with all this traffic. We got to go on the, you know, we get, we're shooting green screen of what we need to recreate the bridge in the studio so that we can shoot her doing this stuff. Um, and so it, it just felt like every day we were just like, oh, there's a cop shootout today. God damn it. I have to figure that out. So, um, <laughs> you, you know, you're, you're really just trying to maximize what you get out of the short amount of time that you can do. So I think for me, um, I mean, just because of the constraints, um, the Joe death was probably the big one because – um, you know, going into it, we had some ideas like, uh, uh, we, you know, we, we knew there was going to be fire and a body and a library and all that stuff. But the way the film presents this whole sequence with the double deaths and stuff like that, it's not it's not how it was written. Like in the script, it was um, Glenn is working out. There's there's a lot of things happening. But when the deaths themselves happen and they get taken over, it was Glenn dies. You know, he, his whole thing goes to completion and then it goes to Joe and she's, you know, has her little phone call. But because Glenn had already died, Joe's stuff was very short. Like she doesn't really talk to Ruby beyond just saying hi. And then she freezes and it all happens. So the first edit of the film, we had it just like, you know, how it was in the script. But then it was just very obvious, like, okay, because, you know, we are, the tension's gone for Joe because we know it's going to happen. So we have to combine them. And it became a thing about cross-cutting them. But beyond that, um, sorry, I'm going to ramble for a bit just because a lot went on here. So, no problem. So going into the Joe death day, and it was, the, it was day six, I remember, because we had to shoot a bunch of stuff outside, and it was the coldest day of the shoot, and we were you know, in the parking lot where they, they come in after the liquor store. There, you know, Danny wrangles Joe, and she's smoking to, to bring her you know, to, uh, to, to go to Ruby's. So we did all this stuff, and then we had to basically send uh, Anna, a- Anna to uh, makeup so she could start getting her makeup done, because me and the, the key makeup artist, Eric Wilson, we um we had a call the night before on how we were going to schedule this because we didn't know going into this that the library that we were shooting at on campus had a, a strict like 
you can't go overtime. We the, the doors, everything locks at this specific time. So we knew that we had to shoot everything in the morning and then the entire afternoon was going to be devoted to this thing. Um, and the plan we devised was before lunch, we would send Joe or Anna to makeup and she would start getting her her most extreme makeup of, uh, done first. So like bald cap, sores, every, uh, you know, crazy stuff. Um, and then we would shoot that and then we would strip it down to the, the, the previous level. So we had like three, you know, it'd be st- a regular looking girl. And then we had some burn and then we had the maximum burn. And so we started with the maximum burn because they said it would be faster to take it off in layers rather than, at, you know, shoot some add it on and then add it on again it would just you know it'd be more effective if we they were in makeup while we were shooting other stuff and whatever it's just it's always a a big kind of puzzle that you're putting together um so anyways uh we get to the library and we had like even we had some advanced crew working and lighting it and stuff like that the production designers making the tables look the way they do doing the lights and all that stuff and then we show up and like makeup is not gonna be close so all of a sudden the plan is just not going to happen the way it was. And, you know, when you, when you look at the scene, most of the tension and most of the stuff happens before she's on fire. Right. So it's, you know, it's the phone call, it's sitting, it's looking at the book, it's, it's lighting the cigarette. It's all these moments that lead up to her actually going into the fire. And that stuff's really short, but because of the way that we came up with this plan, it had to go a hundred percent perfectly for it to work. And it didn't, and it never does. So I don't know why we were thinking that, but we only had, you know, she, she gets her first look done. We did only two shots with it, like the super close up, And then we did uh, something a little bit wider on a profile. And then she had to go back into makeup and then strip it down and do the next thing. And again, that takes longer than you expect. So you're already, you know, you're behind now you're more behind. So we're getting like, I've got, um, one of the makeup girls, I'm shooting inserts with her hands, like grabbing the pen and, and doing these things just so I can get something while we're waiting. And then finally she comes back into stage two. And again, it's just like two shots. It's like the close up of her face. And so you can see the degradation and the wider shot. And then, then she has to go to bear makeup and they have to clean her and they have to, you know, treat her skin, all this stuff. And all of a sudden you've got about 25 minutes until those doors lock. And it's just like, Oh my God, we don't like, this is the entire scene. Those other things were so small. This is, this is what we needed. So we basically just shot like three shots. It's all, you know, there's a big wide one showing the library. There's a medium one. And then there's a tight one. And we did one take of each and we just sort of bop, 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 cut it or shot it. And then we just got out of there. And I I just sort of left and I was like, that's like the biggest scene in the movie. And I completely screwed it up. Um, so fortunately we had, you know, we had some studio time. And so we, we put together a little table with the book and we were able to shoot some of the closer up stuff. Like when her cigarette is, you know, falls out of her mouth and when she's holding the phone, um, and she drops it and stuff, those were all inserts we got to shoot later. Um, and so I was able to kind of cobble the scene together that way and it, and it, and it sort of worked. But then I realized like now that we've, you know, when, when I get to editing, now that we've re- we've recut this. And so it's like two deaths happening at once. Joe actually starts first and we don't have any scene of Joe. Like it's just in the script. It's just like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I found the book or whatever. And then she just freezes and it's over. So if you watch it, it's all over her shoulder and it's like close ups of the book. And there's this conversation that's happening between um, Joe and Ruby and none of, you don't see any of their faces because it just didn't happen. You know, we just didn't shoot it. So it's all ADR. And then, um, you know, and then everything happens and it goes to what we shot and everything was fine. But yeah, just like 
because of the limitations of what we were working with and how the plan just didn't work because it never does. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I'm really proud with how seamless that all worked. And, and it was cool too, because, um, the producers built this like half body sort of like really crude shape of a body and a head, um, using chicken wire. And we took that into the studio one night after we had, you know, wrapped all the crew and stuff like that. We stuck behind and basically what we did is we had a book, we had a table and we had this fake body and we start, we, you know, we doused everything with kerosene and we just lit it on fire and just sort of reshot the shots that we had with these things. And so I could take the, 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 the real fire as it's like bending around this, this head and stuff like that. And I could apply it in visual effects and just like composite it. And it was perfect because it was reacting around the things it needed to, um, so it just was like the seamless thing that I, I was expecting it to take a long time, but it was actually really simple. So that was really cool because, I mean, I do my own visual effects. I did 307 of the 317, and um, that was one oh, that wow. going yeah going into the film, I was just like, I don't know how the hell this is going to work. And so for it for the plan that I had for that part, you know, it, it worked really well, and that was that was you know uh, a very gratifying experience to see kind of come together. <coughs> Yeah, I was going to say, uh, my favorite scene was that library and gym scene because it was just yeah. so intense with it being cut. I, it had me grimace and watching, and the whole time I'm like, can this be over? Can this be over? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it, I mean, well done. That was, that was just such a disturbing shot. Thanks. Yeah, it's it's always, you know, you want to make sure those things land because that, you know, when people watch the movie, they, they want to have those moments that stick out the most because that's when you think back to a moment, you're always thinking about those big, you know, the T-Rex in the rain and Jurassic Park and these, yeah. these, these, these big kind of uh, iconic moments from the movie. And, you know, I always try and have something in there that if someone thinks of the movie, they go, oh, right. Yeah. Barbara Crampton got stabbed in the head. Um, that's cool. <laughs> you know, and Z has like the bot, the little kid falling off the stairs. And it's just like, there's just that one moment that you can kind of instantly go to and, and it becomes sort of like the, uh, the calling card for the film. And so the double death is definitely that in this film. And, uh, yeah, I was going to say that was one thing I did notice compared to your other films is like, we're traveling a lot in this movie. And I know you said there's more time constraints with that. Now, do you prefer the more relaxed schedule of of the one location you can kind of take your time or do you kind of like the fast pace nature? Um, I mean, there, there, it's all hard, but I, I would say that, um, when you're in one location, you have a little bit more relaxed freedom because, you know, you, you, if you miss something, you can pick it up, but not, that's not to say it's better or anything like that. Like I really did enjoy jumping from location to location because the movie gets the, you know, the scope of the film opens up a lot. Um, you know, you're not, Mm -hmm. you're not, it's a different thing when you're in a bedroom and you have to shoot 10 scenes and you're just like, how the hell do I keep shooting the same scene and make it interesting? But then you also, at the same time, you're like, I don't have time to shoot it interesting. I have to just shoot the stuff. So, (laughs) so instead of like, you know, you have one camera that you're shooting across a bed or something like that. And then you're going to have the actor shoot one scene, go and change, come back, shoot the next scene, go and change. And then you're going to turn around the room and do the exact same thing. They're going to go through, you know, multiple scenes when you're in one location for one scene, like say the, the, the cop station, when the, all the cops shoot each other, you're only there for that specific thing. So you can really focus on utilizing as much of that location as you can. Um, and so, you know, it just, it, it gives the, the film some more production value because you're just sort of, you're in more places. Um, 
so that, you know, I really enjoyed doing that and just like going into a location being like, okay, this is going to be our police station, you know, foyer. Uh, how how is this all going to work? And you're just sort of mapping it out, and it you you never have to go back from it, so you can kind of just go as hard as you want and just like you know shoot it as it, it, you know whatever you can do, and and um, that was a lot of fun. So I don't know, it's there's definitely a blend. I, I I wish we had more days on this because every day was just you know insane. But you know ultimately the movie's done. It got finished. It, it is what it is. <laughs> Uh, just curious, were there any other working titles for the Puppet Man, or was it always just the Puppet Man? Um, it, so the vi- initial pitch was the Puppet Man, but then after we wrote the first draft, we changed the title to Let It Lie, and um, oh, that. Okay. So it was like the you know the title treatment. It had it was made of three lines because the lowercase L, the I, and the lowercase L made Let It Lie. And so there was a lot of cool iconography with it. And in the film, there is a couple scenes where like she writes blood on the on the window and it says, let it lie. There was there was more to those scenes. And after we had, you know, Shudder forced the title back uh, when we were in post and, you know, I, I was kind of taken from me. Um, I had I removed a lot of that stuff because it didn't have the resonance that it did before where it was like, you know, it was, it was all sort of packaged together to fit um you know the the okay. aesthetically and all this stuff like that but um yeah i mean i understand it because the puppet man's more commercial sounding but yeah um let it lie to me just you know when you're let it lie and it's you know this thing is lying to everybody and it's causing all this chaos and it's the you know tricking all this stuff it, it had a lot of um it had a lot of you know and letting the past lie it, you know it had a lot of th- deeper meanings that i i, I really liked that uh, unfortunately didn't end up staying and uh, you kind of alluded to a little bit, but was there more background on the cult that that wasn't used in the film? And how how did you come up with ideas for it? Um, no, I mean we kind of shot. You know, there's there's probably more of that sequence where they're doing the thing because it ended up being you know in the script it was you followed each piece of that whole carving and bleeding and you know putting the the lines on their faces and stuff, but. In general, um, not not that much. I mean, my brother wrote the first draft of the script. Like we built out the story, and then he took it. And in that first draft, he kind of came up with some of the the stuff, like the three lines and and the reasoning behind the three lines, and how that tied to like the lights looking through the the cage and and her thing and and all that stuff. So there's a lot of iconography that he he kind of just whipped up out of his ass. Um, <laughs> but, but I mean, ultimately, it, you know. Without going, you, you don't want to. I mean, the movie's already very thick story wise. Like, there's a lot happening, and you're trying to get through as much of it as you can because you have so many characters and you're whittling them down. And then you introduce new characters, and you're, you know, you're doing all the stuff. And it's hard, it's hard not to get bogged down in the details like that. And I think sometimes the movie would would not be served better if we spent more time with this cult because ultimately it doesn't matter it's really just about this young girl and having a shitty past and that that past could be anything i mean it could be you know her could be a father uh, like a homicide suicide type situation but at the end of the day all that matters is that she was put on a path with her life where she doesn't really have any connections to anybody and so the first time that she does it just leads her down this path and and kind of you know causes everything to spiral so um yeah i don't know i mean there's no you know it's all made up it's just a cult that they're the the dolo stuff is real like it's based off of a real god um but you know when you think about it it's just like they're 
you know, they're obviously wrong. They're trying, but I guess technically not because they did have this spirit born inside of Michael. So maybe they are onto something. I don't know. If there was ever a sequel, I'm sure it would dive into it more and spend more time doing that. And you got any more of those cult books? Because I want one of those. I know, right? I, I, we actually have two. I have one and my brother has one. That's awesome. They, yeah, they made two. And then we had just like dummy books that we could use and burn when we when we shot um, with the fire in the studio. But yeah, no, they're super cool. And then all the interior pages are stuff that I had to, when I was in post, because um, like if you the stuff that they put in was like printed on like an old Xerox from like 1980 and looked really bad. So I couldn't shoot it. So I had to just whip up some stuff and created some artwork and stuff for it that we could we could i could film like really tight close-ups of uh you know well after production so i could sort of fill in the missing pieces but um yeah no it's it's i I do have pages that were bigger because they were on like full eight and a half by 11 that i you know printed out multiple copies of and you know stained them with tea and gave them some texture and stuff like that maybe those i can i can send out to to some people those are pretty cool (laughs) That's awesome. And uh, I got to ask an obvious question. Um, do you consider your film a holiday or Christmas movie? Um, no, because it, it kind of falls in between the holidays for me because um, it is snowy, you know, and that was always um, aesthetically something that was really interesting to me is that you take reading week, which typically falls in November sometime, um, and it's it's just kind of this very lonely period if you're not someone that has any home to go to. And so that was always kind of the back, the backdrop for the film is just you have all these characters and all you know you have what is normally a bustling campus, um, but it's during a uh, you know a break period where everybody's going to go home and spend the time with their family and go home for Thanksgiving or or whatever. But um, you know for this small group of people, they're either you know Charlie's supposed to go home, she doesn't. Joe is supposed to go home, she doesn't. And I think it was just supposed to be Glenn and Danny and Mike all staying. Then things happen, but. Um, no, I, I don't really think it's a holiday movie as much as just like a very cold and dark movie. Um, and it's just, it's right between the two holidays. Or I guess, yeah, it's like Halloween. It's right in between Halloween and um, Christmas there. Things happen is a is a pretty good way to describe what happens. Right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we wanted to thank you again for joining us today. And uh, uh, you had talked about you had some uh, upcoming project. Uh, would, would you be able to share any more information on that? Uh, I can't do much, unfortunately, just because it's uh, it's super specific and it, it, like it, it okay. we, we we basically shot it in secret. We used a fake name. We we did all this stuff because it's a very um, it's something that hasn't really been done before, and it's like it is kind of a gimmick, but it's a very cool one. And uh, okay. we just yeah, so I mean, we're in post on it now. We're we're kind of getting into this, you know the part where we start sharing it with people that uh you know we can get notes on and stuff like that we're getting close to that but um i would imagine it'll be out next year and you know it'll it'll be uh it'll be a thing if, if it catches on it could catch on pretty big i can't wait you've piqued my interest yeah. you've told me nothing and i'm completely interested <laughs> right. <laughs> right for sure and uh where where can people uh keep keep up with you online um, I typically just use Instagram. Um, I am the Brandon Christensen on there, and that's kind of the main social media that I use. I use Twitter a little bit, but you know, not not much or X or whatever it's called. Um, yeah, I don't but, know. What, yeah, I'm with you. Twitter X. I don't know. I know it's X, but I don't. Does it feel right calling it X? 
Yeah, I, I do think probably in you know five years, Twitter will be uh, just a, a memory, and it will just be X because time will just slowly you know shape the way that we talk, and yeah. e- Elon's destruction of Twitter will have worked. It's pretty funny. <laughs> All right. Uh, so yeah, again, thank you for joining us today. And uh, you've told us nothing about your next project, but we're already all in on it. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, we'll do another one after that one comes out for sure. Sounds good. Thanks again, Brandon. All right, cool guys. Thank you. Thanks to all the horror hounds and smokers out there for tuning in. Thank you kindly. <laughs> Thank you to Brandon Christensen for joining us again today. Uh, make sure to just go to Shutter and check out his films. And uh, join us next week. We will have Night Swim. I don't know why it was such a struggle to get that out. It's only two words. They just jumble. Swim Night is what I wanted to call it. I keep calling it a swim fan. Swim fan. <laughs> Swimfear.com. <laughs> Uh, anyway night swim we got that review coming for you next and uh make sure to follow us online high on horror 420 facebook hex instagram tiktok all them places and uh high on horror 420 gmail.com send in your ppa questions and make sure to check out our website high on horror.com and uh, i guess that about wrap her up see you all next week